Well, good afternoon and welcome to Tea Time. We are back and today I have a special guest in the house and it is the amazing Linda Dratel. And we're going to be sharing about acceptance and inclusion. We're going to also bring some awareness to captions. Uh, if you don't see captions in StreamYard, we are working on getting captions in the StreamYard. So we want StreamYard to pay attention. I do have a guest today who is working with the deaf community she has lost uh, hard of hearing so we really want to open those doors up and we want to push the the envelope and get captions into Streamyard. if you're watching on the youtube let me know if this if the captions are coming on miss liz always wants to know that i am representing my guests as best as i can so before we get started we're going to do the disclaimer and we're going to do a little intro and bio of linda and then we're going to get linda in here and she's going to spill a different type of tea we're going to do something a little different today we're going to bring a different flow so grab your teas grab your coffee grab your glass of wine whatever you're comfortable with and share this tea time out and if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet subscribe to miss liz's tea times on youtube disclaimer for miss liz's tea time live show miss liz myself is going live using Streamyard. before leaving a comment please grant Streamyard permission to see your name at streamyard.com Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forward dialogues and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the giving time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participants are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It's significant to know that the show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Ms. Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in today's show in any aspect, I, I, I myself, Ms. Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I respect those wishes and we'll see you at a later show at a later date and time. And again, all tea times this year for 2023 are done on a Thursday, 10 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every week, three shows are brought to you. If you do not see it on a Thursday, it is a surprise show or a returning guest or rescheduled show on a Monday or a Tuesday. So pay attention for that as well. Check out the Facebook page for that. So now a little bit on my guest. Let me just get this here. Linda Dratel is an author, poet, and advocate for the deaf and hard of hearing, residing in Northern California. Her poetry has appeared in both online publications and anthologies, and she has authored a poetry collection called Remember This Day. 
which was just released in August, and children and a children's book called Who Wants to Be a Friend with a Dragon, which was released early this year, and was co-authored with Eve Marie Little, centers around the theme of belonging, acceptance, and self-isolation. Many children self-isolate or don't know how to build a bridge with someone who is different from them. This book will hopefully help children recognize their own self-worth and ability to make friends through the very traits that make them different. Learn more about Linda and her work from her uh, official site, which I'll have up during the show. Now a message from Linda, her poetry, Remember This Day. As a deaf person, I, be I become more aware of my surroundings. For example, the man who died sitting in, on a park bench, the mother who was looking at her cell phone instead of her children playing, people moving at different paces. I also find parallel in animals and nature for human emotions such as compassion, this, the oriness, the struggles to survive and fear of surviving, and the anguish and guilt of surviving as we did in the nice terror attack in 2016. I've written about the need to reject feelings of worthlessness others may try to impose on us. I use examples I find in nature, in the, in the horse and goats, and I've cared for in my observations of others. The main lesson I've learned throughout my life is enjoy your time on earth as it is, for you never know what will happen tomorrow. Make the best of your time here today. I've been enjoying my redefinition of myself lately as a writer, and I've been interviewed by CTV30, KKIQ, Fearmont Patch, Pleasanton Weekly, and I've recited poems on Sonic Salon Podcast, Eat the Storm Podcast, and View, Viewless Wings Podcast. And I recited my poetry at the Dublin, California Splatter Festival. My poetry has also appeared in the Dublin, California Poetry Walk two year in a row. So let me get Linda in here. And I wanted to share Linda's whole bio because Linda and me have worked really hard on this tea time. So I really want to get her in here. And I want, I just want to do something different with her today. Hello. So welcome, Linda. It is an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So Linda, I'm going to start off like I start all the tea times. So who was Linda as a little girl and who is Linda now? Let's see. As a little girl, actually, I was a writer. I was, I preferred reading books. I also loved horses and, um, I would take my weekly allowance and on Saturdays I'd ride my bike with my girlfriend and we'd go and we'd rent a horse for an hour. My mother wasn't too happy about that because she preferred me having energy left to vacuum, but <laughs> whatever. But I enjoyed that. I grew up in New York on Long Island and enjoyed easy access to Jones Beach. So the, who are you now as a grown woman? And as I am now, um, really became affected when I lost my hearing about 30, 35 years ago. And it made me really see how people with different disabilities or differences, um, because people who don't have hearing don't feel like they're disabled. We just feel like we need communication in a different way. But it made me see how all of these groups um, are not treated with respect or equality in our society. And so it turned me into an advocate. And um, I've had a long process with that. I, I worked with the uh, BART Accessibility Task Force for several years. And um, I was employed by the Deaf Counseling Advocacy and Referral Agency as an advocate and caseworker. And Right now, I am on the board of the California Communications Access Foundation and Ability Philanthropy Central 
uh, which is the philanthropy arm of the CCAF, um, to provide funding for organizations that need the help in providing access for people with disabilities. So Linda, do you mind sharing how you lost your hearing? I have no idea. Although I have a feeling it was probably genetic because I have an uncle who lost his hearing the same way I did and at the same age. And my brother also has hearing loss in one year. So I think there must be a gene somewhere, but they never really defined what the reason was. So you just woke up one morning and couldn't hear. Yeah, yeah, it started. And usually someone who loses their hearing is the last to know. So I wasn't aware till everybody else yelled at me to go to an audiologist already. <laughs> so that's what I ended up doing. And it started out being hard of hearing. And then after a couple of years, all of a sudden one night, it was a Saturday night, went to sleep, woke up Sunday morning, and I had lost 30 more decibels of hearing just all at once. They tested me for virus and sickness, et cetera. They couldn't find any reason. But suddenly everybody sounded like they were from a different country speaking gibberish. Yeah, and and that's one thing I, I for the viewers out there that know Miss Liz wears hearing aids as well. And when my hearing aids are not in, I sound it sounds like Snoopy, like the little Tweety bird, right? It sounds like doo -doo 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 -doo. like it's not because we can't understand or you know, it, it's muffled. So is that what you went through before you lost it completely? Um, my hearing in my right ear is lost completely. So we don't even have a hearing aid in it. I have, I don't know if you can see. Ah, now it's going to come out. But anyway. You have the I, kind like I have, the ones that I are like. Hear, hearing aid. And that helps me somewhat with lip reading, but I can't rely on it solely to understand conversation. And it helps me with environmental sounds. So Linda, how do you feel about captions? Well, I need them. Uh, right now I'm using the captioning on my phone. I don't know if you all can see that. Um, the captioning on my phone to help me understand what you're saying. And I also took classes in American Sign Language because I wanted to be able to hire an interpreter. So I'm able to do that also. And it also helped me to get work at the deaf agency, DeCara. So actually, in some ways, my hearing loss has been a blessing because I met the deaf community. I learned coping skills and advocacy skills. They were very warm and welcoming. And so I just um, I felt like I discovered a whole new world and a whole new family. And I'm so glad that you said that, Linda, that it was a blessing because sometimes things happen to us. And at first we're like, why me? But then we see the doors that it opens and the opportunities that we would have never done had we not had this happen. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, Linda, I want to get session enabled me to be on the board of this very big organization that's statewide and actually does funding nationwide for organizations. So, um, and I was able to um, get captioning in movie theaters. If any of you go out there and have hearing loss and you go to a movie and you get captioning, uh, I'm not talking about the open captioning on the screen, but um, a device that you use. It's because originally I was the plaintiff along with another gentleman and along with the association with late deaf and adults of which I was president at that time. And uh, we sued Cinemark theaters and they, they agreed, we didn't have to go to trial or anything because they agreed to provide the captioning. And then AMC theaters, we submitted a demand letter and they agreed. So now everybody's providing captioning features, whether it's something you hold in your stand or captioning glasses or something. Um, it's because of that. So I feel good about that. 
Well, I, I'm so glad that you were able to open those doors. And I hope that today's tea time will open another door for StreamYard to get captions so we can get a larger community involved as well on podcasts and make a difference there. So I believe with Linda's help, we can get it done today. So Linda, I want to talk about your children's book that you wrote. So uh, who wants to be a friend with a dragon? So tell us a little bit about that book. Who wants to be friends with a dragon? So what happened was despite my hearing loss, I wanted, and I can't hear a thing, I wanted to learn Spanish. And I found a tutor in my neighborhood who was looking for someone to tutor. And she came to my home once a week and she knew a little bit of sign language. And that was Eve Little, who ended up being my co-author for this book because we would read children's stories together. Since I was having a hard time with conversations, she said, well, let's just read children's books and you'll learn, you'll learn vocabulary that way. And then one day she just said, you know what, Linda, for homework, it's time that we write a children's story of our own. And so we started throwing ideas out back and forth about um, having a dragon, how he's different, and he's scary looking and he's green and he's big and he blows fire. And so people are afraid of him. But then we started talking about what does the dragon feel like? You know, he must feel really bad. Um, he can't make friends, everybody's afraid of him. And so he self isolates. And at one point I said, you know what Eve, hold on a second, that dragon is me. That's dragging to me with my hearing loss because people are afraid to approach me. They don't know how to include me. And then I'm afraid to go to parties. And so I stay home. So I said, that's me. And then Eve said, you know what? That dragon is me because I'm half Mexican, half American, and I don't really fit properly in either group. And so she feels the same thing. And sometimes she self-isolates. And then she, she's a professor at California State at East Bay in Hayward. And one of her students, she was watching him and noticed that he's an artist. And she said, you know what? We got to have him as our illustrator. He's amazing. He was 21 at the time. So that's Mark Vicente, our illustrator. And he said, you know what? I need to add my comments to how we put the story together because that dragon is me. <laughs> he was the son of um, Filipino immigrants. And so he doesn't feel like he really belongs anywhere. So the three of us for four years worked on this book. And it was just an amazing journey. We all felt really satisfied with the product at the end. And especially when we realized that anybody uh, with any feeling different in any way, they're not tall enough, not smart enough, not athletic enough, whatever, um, would, would feel the same as the dragon. And hopefully this book will help them build bridges with other kids and that other kids and that kids will also build bridges with others they feel are different. And we have blurbs on the back of the book. There's one from Barry Sodan, the CEO of the California Communications Access Foundation. And I just want to read that quickly. He says, who wants to be friends with a dragon is a wonderful story of acceptance and friendship. Self-isolation can be truly detrimental, both mentally and physically. This well-written, fabulously written book is a motivational story that I believe may help children recognize the insecurities and fear of being different both in themselves and others, and to overcome those fears to meet new people and make new friends. And then there are three other blurbs. Uh, one is from Rachel Zimak, who just recently published a book, The Butterfly Cage. This story is a, a vibrantly illustrated, upbeat story about the personal transformation of a dragon with low self-esteem to one who embraces his differentness as a teacher of the deaf, I think this is a delightful way to share the idea of pride and taking risks with children who may not always do so. So, so Linda, you gave me some good news. You gave me some good news when we were doing our practice runs. 
the, the, the children's book is actually put into ALS, right? Uh, oh, yes. It's been translated by the uh, California School for the Deaf has translated this book into sign language and that's available on, um, I think it's a YouTube program, but that's available to everybody. Awesome. That is awesome news. See what I mean? We open doors when we ask and when we reach out and we, when we say, can we try this? Can we do this? And we make that difference. And Linda, that's what you've done for me during the process of getting this tea time going is you've made a difference. You've made me open my eyes to things I would have never opened my eyes to had it not been that you asked me for them, you know? So I want to thank you for that. Uh, Linda, I want to get into your T. So if I give you the T-E-A, what three words would you give me? For me, T would stand for temerity, which is nerve or audacity. And I feel like whenever we struggle against obstacles, that's what we need is temerity. The E is endurance, bearing hardships, staying power, just keep pushing. Even if you hit failures every so often, just, just keep on going. Eventually you get the win. And A, acceptance. Acceptance of ourselves and acceptance of others. Acceptance of each of our strengths and our limitations. So I want to get into your one word. I asked you to give me one word to describe yourself and you gave me the word honesty. So why that word, Linda? I chose honesty because it's a strength I found. When you are fighting for your rights, for inclusion, having an honest argument is very hard to com uh, c combat against. Whereas someone who tries to deny you inclusion and uses false arguments, it's very easy to shove them up and it's their downfall. And also honesty feeds into my poetry and my writing because you have to write from an honest place in your heart, from your truth. Um, you can't be representing someone else's truth. You have to represent yourself. And it can be straightforward or it can be through metaphor, but it's your truth. I, I like it because we, we come in a society where the truth really offends a lot of people. So we rather fake it than tell the truth than to be honest. I think we need to just be honest, be ourselves and accept that we are different and we bring something good to the table too. Yes. I have one poem that was published, <clears throat> excuse me, called the who that you are. And it, um, it says very exactly that you, You've got to get rid of the mask. You've got to get rid of the bluffing. Be who you are. And that's who you're meant to be. So, Linda, I want to ask you if you read a few of your poems for us and to show us the books that you've been in. But let's let's start with getting some of your poems read today so people can hear your poems. And these are some of the poems that were selected by Linda that have been published. And I believe all of the poems you're going to read today, Linda, have been published. Yeah, this is the poetry collection, Remember This Day. And both of my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstore.org, your local bookstores, they can all access it. So from Remember This Day, I have two. Um, this, this particular poetry collection focuses on survival, the fear of surviving, the angst, that comes with surviving and the, um, uh, the grief after the survival process. So my poems each center on something like that. This first one is called, When Your Heart No Longer Beats. And it's the fear of surviving my husband. He's still around. I know one day you will take your last breath, leave me and grasp the cold hand of death. I want you to touch me as you pass on, leave your fingers impressed after you've gone. Pillows behind you, quilt on your lap, 
I'll stroke your head gently, pretend it's a nap. Your head will nod slowly as if you agree. I cannot survive this. It should have been me to go first. I should have been first. Wow. Well, that's that poem. A second poem is called Old Man. You know, I was been caring for my horse. He passed away recently. He was 34 years old. And um, there's not much to do while you're watching him eat grains. So um, I, I write my poetry while I'm standing next to him. This is called Old Man. White hairs pepper his sepia forehead below a thin black mane. They cover the nether side of his throat like an old man's goatee. Light eyeshadow near dark eyes, still large and curious, a chalky accent along the lean muscle of his neck. A patch here and there above his fetlocks, the side of one, one hock. War injuries, not age, the erectness of his posture suggests. The winter months are approaching, a time of year when he quickly loses heft. I monitor his eating closely, watch him slowly nibble his grain, prod him to eat more. His muzzle works methodically, slipping food past worn molars no longer capable of chewing. The farrier laughs when she comes to trim his hooves. Nothing to trim, she says. He shuffles like an old man. His hind legs cross as he rambles, I watch him head slowly to the far corner of the field, then double back to a happy gait. Not exactly a run, proud of his stride nonetheless. He has a thing for the mares. Nays expects them to respond. They glance at him for a second, go back to grazing. He makes an effort to rear up, tries to jump the fence, separating him from them, though he'd been gelded year ages ago. Perhaps he's forgotten. He has an agenda. Dirty old man, the barn manager calls him. I remember how we used to ride through lush East Coast forests, sail through the air over fallen logs, pass between trees with barely enough space for his torso and my legs, eat mulberries from low-hanging branches, avoid stinging nettle. Once we encountered a lone hiker with a monstrous backpack the color of algae. A fast lope brought with, to an abrupt stop, a surprise hello. He warned about a copperhead poking his head out of the creek. I look at his frail legs and am reminded of the year he foundered, coffin bone twisted in the hoof, padded high-heeled horseshoes, special diet, minimal exercise. I remember the lightning complex fires, his evacuation, the helicopters, the pregnant cow escaping the stall next to his. I don't know how much longer I'll have him. Arthritis is rearing its own ugly head. Still, he shows off a feisty side, usually kept well hidden. Some have suggested I need to let him go. The winter will be very hard. Loss is a part of life. He looks up from his bucket of grain, gazes at me with kind eyes. Bit rusty, but I've still got it in me, he says. Give me a second. He presses his muzzle against my cheek, a kiss. Old age is nothing, he reassures me. So that, that's old men. And then the third one I was going to read is called Hunt. This I wrote after watching a documentary and then I did more research because I was just fascinated about the play between the bison and the, and the wolves. The wolves are hungry. They've been tracking for a while now over thick snow. Wide four-toed paws snowshoeing in tandem across the belly of the valley. Leaden skies have dusted their thick gray and black fur with white flocculent jackets, as pale as the markings on their faces and underbellies thick crusts of snow on their backs that don't melt under the scarce sunlight cutting in and out from behind shifting shutters like a battery on the brink of dying. They are hungry. They are hunting. They've covered a large territory. They find the bison. The bison are foraging. They swish their immense heads back and forth to disperse the snow, scaring for grasses, leaves, twigs, bark, anything edible. 
they notice the wolves. Burly dark brown coats are drawn taut. They grunt, stand firm side by side, one massive collective beast brandishing sharp horns and deadly hooves, impenetrable. The wolves encircle the herd, wait patiently. This standoff could last days. Eventually, the bison separate, charge to defend. The wolves separate, search for a weakness. One of the wolves catches a young bison, matches his speed, grabs hold with powerful jaws, tears into the tender flesh of the immature flank, releases it to avoid the calf's kicks, grabs hold again, 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 and again. The wolf relies on other members of the pack to keep the rest of the herd at bay. The young bison slows. The wolf's jaws hold firm until the calf ungracefully falls in the snow. A large bull turns, lowers its behemothic head, thrusts the full measure of its bulk, uses the strength and agility it has gained from years of practice surviving and adapting in the predator-prey relationship, charges the wolf with, sharp curve, with the sharp curve of its horns, convinces the predator to seek easier prey. The wolf releases the calf. The kill for now is thwarted. The wolves must try again, must eat, must find another bison to sustain kith and kin. Driven solely by hunger, their need to survive, nothing more. Wow. Amazing three poems. And they all have something in common. The oldness yeah. and the hunt of life, the survival of life. It's surviving the fight to survive, the fear of surviving. And what that poem, The Hunt, is the last poem in my poetry collection because what I want to emphasize with that poem is that they're not there to just kill for no good reason. They're there to kill because they have to survive and the bison have to fight because they have to survive, nothing more. And, th and that was important to me. So Linda, what movie was it that got you to write that poem? It was a documentary. I think uh, it might've been a National Geographic documentary, but I happened to see it and I was sitting uh, with my son and his family, he's married, and they were watching this and I just went, oh my goodness. You know, I just, I just want to write about this. So Linda, we have a question here. How old were you when you wrote your first poem? Well, my first poem, which is actually the first poem in this poetry collection, it's called, it's called The Torrent and the Tree. That's published now here, but I wrote it when I was 16. Wow. Yeah, my dad used to read poetry to me all the time. And he introduced me to Ogden Nash. So actually, and to a couple other um, poetry collections. But speaking of Ogden Nash, I have a new poetry collection that's going to come out next year. That's called The Lighter Side of Morse Manure. And that collection shows how Ogden Nash affected me because I really loved his writing style, poking fun at life. I just loved it. So, um, but uh, another thing my dad did, which I don't think people do anymore, is he had us memorize poems. And that was a really big thing. So he would have me and my brother, he'd test us each day, like the midnight ride of Paul Revere. And there was a really fun poem called The Cremation of San McGee. That is a hysterical poem. And that's, I, I still have the book and it's falling apart because it's so old, but that's- I, I, And Linda, I think that's really important because we don't do that. We don't have that time to connect, to memorize poems, nursery rhymes, uh, you know, stories, that our grandparents and, and great-grandparents told us. 
we don't remember them anymore because we don't practice and we don't, you know, keep it going. Yeah, that's true. And the funny thing is I met my husband and I just mentioned to him recently about my dad having us memorize the um, the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. He had the same thing. <laughs> he did the exact same poem, remembered it completely. And, and these are good memories to bring back, right? To, to your grandchildren and your children and say, you know, when I was a child, I did this. This is what grandpa did with me. This is what grandma did with me. We have to keep those stories alive. And I think poetry really is a nice flow. It, it just feels like a nice cup of tea. Yes. And um, especially, I think, like this day and age, I think poetry is finally making a comeback because... It's open to more styles, open to more voices that are diverse. Um, but also, it's a just what I like about poetry. You're in and you're out in a very short period of time. If you don't want to read that big, thick book, this is just like one page, two pages. And um, so I wanted my son, and I want especially, he has stepchildren. So I wanted my step-grandson and step-granddaughter to be immersed in poetry. So aside from sending them each a copy of this, the illustration on the inside, this illustration, I don't know if you can see it. Oh my goodness, yeah. It's, it's a rose growing out of a garbage can. It's just as dystopian as the cover of a dried rose. My step-grandson did that drawing for me for this poetry collection. Oh. And he's doing the cover, the book cover of my next poetry collection. Awesome. So, Linda, we have a comment here. I'm just going to read it out to you. If Linda is looking for an animal species for insp inspiration, then she might check out the Australian musk duck that, was, that has a waddle. I'm not sure what a oh. musk duck is. It's called a must. Must duck. How do you spell that? M U S K D U C K. Oh, musk duck. duck. Okay. I will check that out. And thank you so thank much you. for that comment. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you tuning in today on Tea Time. You know, we just never know what doors we're going to open when we have these tea times or who's going to be listening and who has some advice for us as well as the guest and host, right? Uh, I've never heard of a mustache, so I'm going to be looking up that. But Linda, you have the a couple of books. I want to get those books out as well, uh, some anthologies and that. And if you could read one of the poems from uh, the book that I have is Field of Black Roses, if you could read your poem that's in that one. Well, the Field of Back Roses has that poem that I just read. Oh, okay. But I did want to show that I also play with form. So I have this poem, Compassion. Like and that. what made me think about that was each stanza was a scene. And in sign language, this is the scene visualized and then collapse, visualize and collapse. So that's what I did with each stanza. And then there was one that was about pigweed. Pigweed, this is the shape of a pigweed plant. Oh, I like how you did that, Linda. So that is really I interesting. In that form. So just to let you know, uh, but yeah, I have, I have so many. <laughs> so many She's been busy, guys. <laughs> and two large anthologies from Havoc, which is the Las Positas College anthology. So um, if you want, I could read a couple poems. They're very short from my future anthology. My Absolutely. Future collection. Okay. So this is the Ogden Nash part of me that came out. First one's called The Water Trough. Owner's late, stale hay you ate, caught your tail on the pasture gate, need a chance to commiserate, take it to the water trough. Need to neigh, want to play, rather do nothing but laze all day, prefer a pasture to stall come what may, 
take it to the water trough. Pass the time, escape the grime. Your aches tell you you're past your prime. Think doing nothing is not a crime. Take it to the water trough. We're all there, even the mayor, winning our hearts out without a care. But if you're sour, don't you dare take it to the water trough. There's that one. I like that one. I like the flow of that one. That one is almost like a little dance. Yeah. Next one is called At the Farm, Far From the Barn. The manure pile, if stood a while, becomes a nourishing food. But used too ripe can kill on one swipe, one's garden, and one's mood. I like that one. Short and sweet. And then there's, I imagine him saying thank you, which actually is in, in this uh, anthology from Las Positas College. It's called, I imagine him saying thank you. My horse gave me a funny look today, as if he felt he just had to say, again, you carry my manure away? Such doggedness and carry your display. And I want to ask you, who gives a shit? You watch me eat, measure my weight, act enthralled to see that I ate. You ask enough when I stare at the gate. Is this a natural human trait? Really, I ask you, who gives a shit? We've got one shot at life, yet you share yours with mine. Carrying buckets and shovels seems fine. I don't really care how you spend your time, but yes, without you, my health would decline. So thank you. Now get on with your shit. I like it. <laughs> I like the honesty in that one. <laughs> that was a good one, Linda. I like that one. <laughs> You know, sometimes we just got to get on with our shit. So, yeah. Linda, how did you get the title of all of your books? Um, well, one, I was just being amused with my poems. And that's when I wrote The Lighter Side of Horse Manure. Um, remember this day? I don't know. It just came to me. It just... It was it was important uh, to me that uh, that particular day be remembered. It was an important day, just as all of our days are important days. We go through experiences and things. We um, sometimes wonder if we have accomplished anything and feel we haven't. But if we made ourselves a good breakfast, if we made our bed, if we went for a walk, it's all the tiny little things. All of those are successes yeah. and they build up and that's what we should feel good about. So that's, a, I guess that's why I wrote that. I, I, I just like the way the flow of your poems go. It's, they got like an old soul kind of feel, but a nice flow. Uh, so when, when, when you write your poems, Linda, is it, just out of the blue or do you sit down and take time to write them or is it something you just scribble and then get back to it and then put it together? How do you do your poems? Well, it's usually because I've noticed something. So um, the story about the torrent and the tree, I had seen a photograph of a tree and it just looked to me like it was struggling. And that poem is about how it's, the tree's not going to survive in the end. It's going to fall. The rushing waters are too strong. But what's important are the, the defiant moments it's spent on Earth before then. And that's what makes it win over the waters. And that, that just hit me when I wrote it. Um, I wrote about uh, the Nice terror attack in 2016 on Bastille Day. My husband and I were caught in the middle of it. And... Um, it was a terrifying experience. And, you know, thankfully I was slightly injured, but not, no big deal. It was okay. Um, we were having dinner in a restaurant on the beach, just under the promenade. And the truck ran through all these people killing over 400 and I'm sorry, killing over 80 and injuring over 400. And it was just by sheer luck that we weren't one of them because we had finished eating we had, were waiting to pay our bill. 
and the couple from our hotel that was on the t at the table next to us got to pay first. So they went up the stairs and we were envious of them thinking, man, we want to go already. They got hurt from the truck. When we saw the husband later, he was covered in bandages. And I don't know where the wife was and we didn't want to ask, but it was just a, a horrible, horrible experience. So I wrote about that and we went to see a post-traumatic stress disorder specialist because uh, we knew of two other people who had been through a terror attack. One of them had gone to a PTSD specialist and one did not. And the one who did got over, uh, just got over and she, she, she healed. The other one never healed. To this day, she has problems. So I guess that's a major message of that poem. It's just uh, please reach out to the help that you need. It's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about and it can help you for the rest of your life. And then other poems I wrote were during COVID when we had to, nothing to do. So I went for long runs in the park and I noticed a lot of things as I was going on my runs. And so I jotted each one down as a poem. Um, there was one in particular, a mother and her children. The children were just playing and they were just so ecstatic and happy and they were calling out to her, but she wasn't paying attention to them because she was focused on her phone. And you could just see the crushed feeling and they had run toward her for a hug and then they turned away. Um, so I wrote about that. And then um, I used, to live, uh, well, I lived for six months in London because my husband was transferred there for our work. And we would go for walks in Paddington Park. And one day we passed by and I realized the guy sitting on the bench had died. He was just sitting there, but it wasn't asleep, you could tell. And just at that moment, two police officers ran up to him and one sat by his side while the other one went to get help. And I wrote a poem about that because there was so much feeling, the police officer being a brother to this guy sitting next to him, arms touching and just waiting as long as it would take for help to come. So I wrote about that too. A lot of your poems are based on life stories or life experiences from what I'm yes. getting. And I, th I think those are the stronger poems that connect with people because they're, they speak strong to the soul. Yes, and so you have to have experienced something yourself to really write, I think, about it. And that's why I think the poems that I have that are successful are the ones that have experienced things and written about them. So, Linda... I want to know of any more wins since we talked the last time before we even started this tea time. What has happened since we we did our last yeah. checkup? Well, uh, found out this week that another poem was published, and this is just an example how you have to keep following up with people because I submitted that poem back in January and hadn't heard anything. Wrote a couple of emails, and finally I wrote. Last week, I said, you know what? I'm just going to submit the poem somewhere else. And that's when they responded and said, oh, we already published it back in February. <laughs> they forgot to let me know. So then I got the book, and sure enough, it's there. So I was excited about that. And then uh, I have an unpublished novel called The Peccadillos of Philomena Phipps. And I'm trying very hard to find an agent or a publisher um, but in the meanwhile, the beginning excerpt from the book was published this past week in Embark Literary Journal. And that's a really big deal. They only publish twice a year. And I think there are only four of us or five of us that are included in, in that journal. So it's, it serves, according to their website, to show agents and publishers what books are out there so I'm hoping that I might get some traction. So Linda, do you have any um, any idea if you're going to be writing another children's book? Um, I don't know. I would like to write another children's book. 
In the meantime, I did start another adult novel. And both of my novels also deal with isolation, being included, not included. So for example, Peccadillo is a Philomena Phipps. It's about an immigrant woman. And I don't say which country, so anybody can identify with her. She ends up in this nouveau riche community and they all reject her. She's too different. And my metaphor for her in the book is that it's like when she lands on the plane to America, you know, when you, the plane is landing, there's a loud, real big whoosh sound. I found out the reason for that whoosh sound is because you have this fast moving air colliding with static air and it creates a sound. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that perfect for Philomena? Because she's coming in with all this, this active air and she's coming, hitting head on this static air and it's creating a mess. So, and it's how she, she manages through that and finds final acceptance. And then the second book that I'm writing is called Twitch. And it's based on a short story that was published by California Writers Club, uh, where I, I, I pick one, one physical trait and abundance in this case, and the people who have bunions are rejected by the rest of society. And the part of the problem is that there's not enough food to go around. There's the droughts, there are the fires, and they're trying to figure out how to sustain life. And they decide some of us have to go. And it starts with bunions, but it'll lead on to other things. And it's how this woman uh, and her husband survived that, or not survive, I won't say. <laughs> you gotta buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> so Linda, I want to get into, I'm going to switch it a little bit. I asked you what your favorite color was and you said lavender. So could you share why lavender? Because you see this skin? <laughs> Very few colors look good on it. <laughs> lavender does look good. Um, I found that like a batik, a purple or just purple in general looks, looks better on me than other colors. Greens don't do it. <laughs> no greens, just lavender. So Linda, do you have any projects coming up? Um, projects coming up. I have a book signing that's being planned at Barnes and Noble in San Jose. Uh, we're just in the process of confirming all the arrangements that hopefully is Saturday, I think it's October 20th. And um, then I will also be at the Association of Late Deaf and Adults National Conference. I have donated a copy each of my two books. And also I will have a table there to sell my books for anyone happens to be there. And it's in Austin, Texas. Come in. I think the uh, exhibitor hall is free. Don't quote me on that though. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll be there with my books. So Linda, before we wrap up, I want to get you to read a little bit from uh, Who Wants to Be a Friend with a Dragon? Just so the little kids that are okay. out there, they would like to know a little bit about the dragon. You got it. All right. And the dedication is for all the boys and girls who look past their differences and find kindness and friendship in others. I'm going to show the pages as I read because oh. the illustrations, what Mark did, are just amazing. Most people think dragons are scary and mean, right? Not our sweet, peaceful dragon. He was a different kind of dragon, a quiet and lonely dragon. One day, he decided to go for a walk through the forest and search for a friend. He sang a tune in his head. I see the sunrise. It took me by surprise. I'm in the mood for French fries. His head bobbed as he sang. I'm ready to soar, jump off the floor. Gonna explore. My feet are sore. He saw birds and frogs and squirrels and deer and tried introducing himself to them to shake their hand. 
but the animals were scared. He was so big. He was so green. He was so different. They wanted nothing to do with him. He kept walking until he reached the edge of the forest, a place he had never been. There was a large building with the word school written on it, and he saw children with books walking and skipping away. He quickly hid behind a tree. The children looked happy, chatting with their friends. The dragon sadly sniffed. Who am I kidding? I should just go home. Who would want to be friends with a dragon? One boy saw the dragon hiding behind the tree and called out to him. The dragon didn't answer and could see him hiding. I can see you, said the boy, peering around the tree at the dragon. No, you can't, said the dragon, covering his eyes. The dragon leaned against the tree, wrapped his wings tightly around his shoulders, and held his breath. I can totally see you. Why are you hiding? Why don't you run away, asked the dragon. Why would I do that? Because no, I'm a dragon. Nobody wants to be friends with a dragon. Why not? I'm different. I'm different, said the dragon. How? Well, I have big wings and a long tail. So? There are spikes on my neck. And? My nails are sharp, pointed out the dragon. And? And, said the dragon, thinking he had saved the worst for last. And I breathe fire. Well, my mom says I have real bad breath too, said the boy, stepping through the brand new burnt hole in the fence. Want to play a game? Uh, what kind of game? How about a rhyming game, asked the boy. Okay, you start. The boy climbed the dragon's tail and shouted, you're mysterious. The dragon smiled nervously and responded, you're hilarious. The boy laughed, you're ferocious. The dragon tilted his head back. I'm delirious. The boy slid down the dragon's back. I broke one of your scales, don't be furious. Are you serious? Yeah, sorry about that. Should I keep reading? Sure, a couple I, more pages. We still got a couple minutes here. I'm enjoying the story. My viewers are enjoying it too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can I see you tomorrow, same place, asked the boy. The dragon didn't really think the boy would come by again, but went ahead and agreed. I guess so. Same place, same space. Next time, don't hide your face, the boy called as he left. As time passed, the boy began to visit the dragon every day after school. They played all sorts of games and the dragon looked forward to seeing the boy. So it just shows all the things that they do. One day, the boy handed the dragon an envelope. My birthday is tomorrow, please come to my party. Tomorrow, no, 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 no. Why not? I have an appointment. With the dentist? No. The doctor? No. Then why won't you come? The dragon sighed, because everyone will be afraid of me. You have to come because I invited all of my friends, said the boy. Plus, don't worry, you're nice. Everyone will like you. The dragon's eyes got very big and he held his breath. Wait, am I your friend? Of course you are. The address is in the invitation. See you tomorrow, at two, uh, tomorrow afternoon at two o'clock. As the boy walked away, the dragon held his shoulders back, straightened his posture, raised his chin and smiled. I have a friend. Then his shoulders collapsed and he sighed. This is going to be a disaster. And we're going to so let you on <laughs> where he goes to the party and he finds that everything he has, his sharp nails, his long tail, his ability to fly, his wings, his ability to blow fire, all works really well. Well, kind of, sort of. 
I think it's really, I think it's really, the, the <laughs> illustrating is really nice. It's really fun playing. And we gave you enough that you can go out and grab yourself a copy. Christmas time is coming. Grab one for your grandchildren or your children and do story time. You know, let's bring some story time back. And again, Linda, I want you to keep shining, keep being you. And you just never know what doors will open. So again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in on Tea Time today. Linda, thank you so much for sitting and sharing with me, reading some of your poetry, reading some of the book. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I will see everybody at 7 p.m. for the last guest today, Natasha Dean, who is returning from season three. Thank and you she'll so be much for having me again. Oh, much not a problem. And we'll be talking about children's writing. So today has just been about children, inclusive, acceptance, multiculture, and just connecting. Let's connect with one, one, one child at a time, one story at a time, and one person at a time. And let's just keep serving tea. Until then, I will see everybody at 7 p.m. And thank you to all of the viewers and listeners who tuned in today. Thank you.